This is Abby Webster Moran, and you're listening to No Place Like Ohm. Hello, friends, and welcome back. I hope wherever you are in the world, you are safe and healthy today. It is Sunday, July 19th, 2020. Just two days ago on Friday, U.S. civil rights hero John Lewis passed away at the age of 80 from pancreatic cancer. The protests going on in our nation have brought back to center stage all of the political rights and issues that Lewis fought for, issues of racial equality and non-discrimination, dignity, legal reforms. Indeed, it was because men like him fought that today's protests have even become possible. Lewis was a U.S. civil rights hero who in the 1950s and 60s led and participated in the movement against segregation and for equality. In the U.S. South, he was among the original freedom riders who challenged segregated interstate travel. In Selma, Washington, he marched for equal voting rights, and he was brutally beaten by state authorities. In Washington, where Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his historic address at the Lincoln Memorial, Lewis spoke out against racism. And in the U.S. Congress, where he was a member for close to 25 years, he became a voice of conscience. It is men like Lewis who ensured that the U.S. overcame one of its most shameful legacies of institutionalized racial discrimination. And in this, along with King, he was inspired by the Gandhian path of nonviolent resistance. This courage of conviction to challenge the most oppressive structures through peaceful and democratic methods is a lesson to all social justice movements across the world. This persistence, he said it was important not to be afraid of making noise and getting into good trouble, necessary trouble. It is a lesson that speaking up against wrong and retaining an ethical core is integral to progress. For all those who want to fight for a better world, Lewis will be an inspiration. May he rest in peace. In other news, COVID numbers continue to rise and break records in several states as schools scramble to figure out their plans per district As to handling the return of students and teachers in the fall, we're still seeing grocery stores and big box stores with shortages of cleaning supplies. We know there is a lack of the proper protective gear to go around, so there are a lot of unanswered questions, including the children who are marginalized, the children who are facing uh, disabilities or who have a need for extra resources, the children who aren't safe at home. There really are no easy, straightforward answers to any of this crisis that we're dealing with in this country. And unfortunately, 
um, our national leadership leaves a lot to be desired. We're not getting a lot of guidance, and it seems that a lot of data and information is now going to be hidden from the public, and there's fear that maybe that information and data will be manipulated. It's very hard to know how the next few weeks, few months, uh, and really even the year ahead are going to play out uh, on the school front, in our economy, in our homes, and in really every aspect of our lives. It can feel overwhelming to be alive right now with the health crisis, with, uh, with the civil unrest. But as today's guest pointed out when I spoke with her the other day, she said it's also an exciting time. And if you stop and look, it really is as much chaos as it feels like there is, if you look past the noise, you'll notice things are changing. Policies are changing. Um, The police departments in different places are getting a reallocation of funds so that more social programs are getting the funding that they need. There is um, there are reparations being made to black communities in North Carolina, and hopefully that's a trend that starts to take place in many cities across America. There are Confederate statues and flags coming down or being taken out of places that they do not belong in. There are some changes really beginning to happen. And to those of us who identify as white allies, uh, the goal here is to continue to pass the mic, to not just amplify the voices of people of color, but also to actively seek out and reach out and become friends and support businesses, buy the books, you know, buy the products, uh, share the pages, share the information, share the love, you know, not just the free resources, which absolutely do those as well. Um, you know, diversify our Instagram feeds, for example, uh, diversify just the literature that we read and, and really look into the sources that our information comes from. And just start to notice what your world looks like and in some small, real um, uh, approachable ways, see if we could start just changing it up, inviting new points of view, hearing from other voices, getting new perspectives. It will help us all grow and come together in the long run. And I think almost all of us, our ultimate goal here is to have peace among all people. And in order to do that, we must lift up the communities that are hurting the most. And right now, that is our black communities. And so um, recently, it was a Juneteenth post, actually, through, it started as a Yoga International post. I picked it up on Diane Bondi's page. There were maybe 10 different people who were being highlighted who I had not noticed or heard about before this particular post. And so I, you know, liked all the pages and started kind of paying attention in my Instagram feed to 
all these kind of different voices that I hadn't checked out yet in the yoga community. And I came across Shayna Small, who on Instagram is known as Wellness Yogini. I started watching her page every other day. I would kind of check in and I love the videos that she posts. They're always kind of short and to the point. And in addition to speaking out on social justice, she also gives just a lot of great straightforward tips on Ashtanga yoga in particular. So I did a little homework, found out a little bit more about her and found her website, the Ashtanga Yoga Project. And there I learned that Shana is a writer. She is a yoga teacher and she really does, um, has spent a, a few years here speaking to the intersectionality of yoga and social justice. She's practiced Ashtanga since like 2001 and, and has been studying the sutras since then as well. She has studied in Mysore with Sharath, and she's the director of the Ashtanga Yoga um, at Kali Yoga in, in, uh, there in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's a regular contributor for Yoga International, Om Stars, and the Ashtanga Dis- Dispatch. Um, and she's also got some stuff coming up at the Miami Life Center there in Miami with Kino and Tim. If you follow Ashtanga at all, then you know those names very well. And so I was so pleasantly surprised and honored that Shana agreed when I reached out to her to ask if she would be a guest. Um, she agreed, and I I just knew we would get along great. I, I just kind of really loved her spark, her spunk on her Instagram page. So I had a feeling we would get along great, and we really did hit it off. I will say this is my first guest that I didn't really – know somewhat already before the interview. So I am a bit more nervous in this interview. You will certainly notice than I am, than I have been in all prior interviews to, uh, leading up to this one. Shana is super gracious and I appreciate her patience with me as I fumble around a little bit in this interview, but please enjoy getting to know Shana Small. Well, I just wanted to thank you again, Shana, and welcome you to today's podcast. Um, I want to check in. I, I know you're in North Carolina. Is that right? That's right. I want to check in. What is life like right now in North Carolina in the midst of COVID, in the midst of social unrest? What in civil unrest? How are you doing and what is life like for you right now? Uh, life for me is it's really busy, actually. I'm way more busy now than I was um, pre-COVID. Uh, COVID has, uh, you know, a silver lining, if you will, if you can find one, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, for entrepreneurs, um, you can definitely um, find places where um, you are needed. Um, so I'm extremely busy. Um, uh, you know, I would definitely like to see, you know, the community thriving and, you know, people not having to deal with this and have it go away and all of that. But it's, you know, COVID's here right now. So all you can do is like deal with it to the best of your ability. Um, Also in Charlotte, we've had some protests um, happening and they're still happening. There's still groups that are still um, organizing and doing things um, in the community. So I think it's a very... um, uh, it could be a very exciting time to be alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. So were you teaching much um, online prior to COVID then? 
I was not teaching online prior to COVID at all. I had never gotten into the space and I had often thought about it, but my focus was so much on my in-person teaching um, that I honestly didn't see the potential of it. And now that I'm doing more online teaching, I definitely see the potential of it. So I could thank COVID for that. It really opens up to access for people that maybe would would want to study with you, have heard of you, but can't get to your classes. I love that part of 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 this shift in the yoga community of of taking some more things online. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your yoga journey. I know you are um, the Ashtanga Yoga Project, right? That's your website. That's right. And you are an Ashtangi since like 2001, from what I understand. Tell me more about that. What brought you to Ashtanga? Did you have a different yoga experience before Ashtanga? I just kind of want to know your story. So I started practicing yoga probably for similar reasons that a lot of people started practicing yoga. It was, you know, coming into popularity. I'd heard that it could, you know, tone your body and that it also had a spiritual component. So honestly, um, that was my reason for coming into yoga. And I had read some books on it and um, we joined our little local gym and they had a yoga class. So I started taking that yoga class. And she moved shortly after I got kind of hooked on it and loved it. And at the time I was in college. And so I knew that my rhetoric teacher was a certified Ayangar teacher. He was certified by um, actually um, BKS and his family. And so he was pretty big time. And so after my other yoga teacher left town, I went up to him. I was like, hey, um, I've been practicing yoga. My teacher left town. Should I come practice with you? And he looked at me. He said, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, you absolutely should not come practice with me. He said, you should go practice Ashtanga. He's like, you're young. Um, he's like, you're young, you're healthy, you're active. You should just go practice Ashtanga. So he gave me a reference for a studio in Atlanta. And I've been practicing Ashtanga ever since. Was he right? Did that really kind of resonate and connect with you, obviously, then? Yeah, it did resonate and connect with me. I guess we'll never know if he was, I mean, he had to be right (laughs) because, you know, I can't, I mean, I'm not practicing on Yangar right now, so. Right, right, right. Um, Ashtanga, for those who don't know, is is a vigorous practice. It's a beautiful practice and, and, and structured, yes? Yes, very structured. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about, I, I have to say, I only recently discovered your Instagram page. Um, and even though I follow Yoga International, it was Diane Bondi's repost that I saw first um, on Juneteenth featuring different black voices in the yoga community. And your page was one of the ones uh, featured. I love your approach to Ashtanga. I will say I've had experiences sometimes in the Ashtanga world where I feel like, gosh, maybe it isn't for everybody. Maybe it's not for all bodies, but I love that you're working to make um, Ashtanga more accessible. And I see you have some workshops coming up um, in that as well. Yes. Um, Ashtanga, I think it always was for all bodies, but it, there, the message got lost somewhere as the social media kind of boom started happening. I mean, Ashtanga has been around way before the internet. And so it was very different before the advent of the internet. 
And what happens a lot of times, and, and this isn't just with Ashtanga and yoga in general, it's with everything is that people only show the shiny, sparkly parts right. of the practice. And so people were seeing those shiny, sparkly parts of the practice and started to think that that's what Ashtanga was. And then those people started practicing and then those people started teaching. And so then you've got this very one-sided view of what Ashtanga is proliferating because there's just a lot of voices out there that honestly don't know any better and haven't experienced it in any other way because they were privileged, able-bodied people. So that message just started getting out and it started to be what you saw in the community. And what I'm trying to do is kind of go back to the roots of it where, you know, the practice is taught based on the person's body and what's going on with the person's body and just trying to go back to those roots. I can really appreciate that. And I, I think it's interesting. You're, I think you said not just Ashtanga, it's it's yoga, it's yoga in general. Um, and that was one of the things that sort of drew me to wanting to talk to you today. You had made a video that I, it, it, it really caught my attention and it really makes, made me check myself. Um, there was a video on your Instagram that someone had complained, uh, or maybe not complained, but had commented on, a, a an advertisement for vet meditation and that there were, there was all black people in the meditation poster and someone had commented, where are the white people? And it really helps me and, and all of us in this community check ourselves you look around and what are all the ads and who do the ads speak to and all of the marketing, not just Ashtanga, but in really the yoga community at large, how, how does that feel as a person of color in this community? So just being a person of color in general in America, you sometimes can get, or I know I did uh, get desensitized to what's going on. I mean, cause that's honestly the reality period, not just in this yoga scene, but in, in anywhere, if you're looking right. at clothing ads, makeup ads, it, it doesn't matter if you're looking at any type of advertising, you're going to see, unless it's like dark and lovely, like, you know, black right. product in particular. Um, but other than that, you're going to see a whole bunch of people that don't look like you at all. And yoga in the West was no different, even though yoga started, um, and depending on who, who, who you want to believe about it, um, what we practice is yoga. The roots are in the South Asian community, um, and it came out of there. But it, when it, once it came to the West, it was very much hijacked by, you know, white people. So what white people always do, you know, usually is center themselves. Uh, and so because they center themselves, everything you see is centered around um, the white look and experience. So it was not nothing different for me in the yoga world. It took me a while before I was like, enough is enough. Because honestly, I was kind of Pollyanna-ish. I felt that it was going to start to shift that as more Black teachers and Black people started practicing yoga, of course, there was going to be a shift. And, you know, I would be a part of that as someone who's practicing and people would start to recognize um, that other bodies are practicing, but it didn't happen. As yoga started to gain popularity and stay popular, it's still 
the representation still was not of anyone who wasn't white or able-bodied. And so after a while, I was like, okay, I did it you guys' way. This is not happening. The shift is not going to occur. You're still going to somehow not see that we have entered this room that, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color have moved into the room and you're still not seeing it. Um, and you're not seeing that South Asian people have kind of moved out of the room because, you know, they don't, you know, because of this exclusion and they're trying to right. get back in. Um, so at some point I was like, enough is enough. If we're going to shift how this community is, it's going to have to be done um, in a very active way. Right. Right. And you've been and you made that shift it, to be clear, long before these last few months, you were making that shift and, and finding that intersection of spirituality and social justice and yoga, correct? I was. Yeah. So, it's it, you know, probably a few years ago, I just got to a point where I couldn't, it, I, it, things had just gotten so blatant for me and my community that I just could not ignore it but I didn't really know what to do so I just started you know writing a few articles about how I felt you know making a few statements and then as I did that people were like you know oh you're you know you're absolutely right I agree with you 100% so glad you're saying this and I realized that there were other people having these exact same thoughts uh, as I was and so I knew it was just time for me to start to shift my focus and start to do more of the yoga community and see how I could actively work towards change. It was no more, no longer enough to be like the black person in the room and hope that that would be enough. It wasn't, it had to be the vocal black person in the room um, as well. Well, and, and I have been absolutely complicit. We all in the yoga community feel like we're so inclusive. In fact, inclusivity has become really a buzzword in the last few years and how, how it's not being inclusive to use um, what what I'm starting to understand is spiritual bypassing. I read your blog uh, from January of this year, and and you call it spiritual slavery, and I think that's that's really calling it out. And 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 I appreciate that. We need to be checked for for this. Can you speak a little bit more on that and and how harmful that that idea of love and light? How in and of itself it's it's not bad, but how how we're using it to sidestep our responsibility here um, as as uh, well, not just the yoga community, but the white community. So spiritual bypassing is the opposite of yoga because yoga is, the process of yoga is a very extremely active process. No matter if your practice is meditation, if it's asana, if it's mantra, if it is, you know, um, bhakti or whatever, all of these have always been extremely active practices, things that you actually have to like get skin in the game and do in order for them to reap the benefits. So this activeness in yoga is not new, but then when something comes up that's super uncomfortable for us, then we forget the whole, or we want to not act on it. So then we come up with this way to bypass it with, you know, you know, I'm sending you love and light. I am, um, you know, everybody is one knowing that in every other aspect of our yoga practice, that there's always been an action 
there's always been an action. It's never been enough to have a word or a statement. It's always been action. So the fact that, you know, when it becomes something you're not comfortable with, such as, you know, racism in the yoga community, appropriation in the yoga community, uh, lack of inclusivity in the yoga community, then you don't want to take an action. Now you just want to quote or say a quote or say a word. Whereas, you know, every other time when anyone talks about yoga, you know, people are describing it as something, an action that is taken. But now all of a sudden it's not an action. Why? It's because simply because people are uncomfortable. They are uncomfortable and they don't want to do the work and they don't want to take the actions for change. So it's easier just to say something really trite and, um, and, and, and get around it. And, you know, and those statements of of oneness and love and light um, are totally misunderstood and misused um, in the yoga world as a way to get out of action. Right, right. Well, and if we look to the sutras, we look at tapas, right? Tapas isn't supposed to be comfortable. Transformation is not meant to be comfortable, right? If we're looking for change, we have to go through the discomfort. Someone had pointed out uh, last week, I can't remember the, it was either an article or a blog post. I'll, I'll look it up and, and, and find the reference, but, but indicating how, why is it and how is it that yogis are all about sitting through the discomfort of a pose? Like you said, we'll take action if it's on our yoga mats. Um, but when it comes to the discomfort of anti-racism, we clam up, we side shift, we, we want to love and light it. Um, and, and like you said, the, the parallel here, we, the action, the yoga of action, we're forgetting that. So how can studios and teachers do better to truly be more inclusive, not just use that as a buzzword, but how can we reach out to communities um, and how can we do better? So I think it starts individually as if someone owns a studio, if they're a yoga teacher, the first place they have to start with is looking with themselves, looking within themselves individually, doing the work individually. Because a lot of yoga teachers and yoga studio owners come from the place of I am not racist right. or I am not the problem. Right. And when you come from a place of I am not the problem, there's an immediate shutdown. There's right. an immediate shutdown and, and an inability to see the little things that you might be doing or they might be doing in order to create these environments that are not inclusive and you can't see it if you don't feel that you have a problem and you can't see it if you don't feel like you know anything you're doing is wrong so it has to start there if a person cannot even admit that part of the human experience is bias right if they can't even admit that part of living in the United States is being in that continuation of the history of the United States, which has been about violence and racism and genocide, the rape of cultures. Like this is part of the history of the United States. And all of this is permeating everything. It's not just the good stuff that we want to accept as being part of the United States. And honestly, the good stuff is is also a lie. You know, when people talk about the United States, oh, because we're free. Nope. No, exactly. (laughs) Certain people were free. Oh, we all have access to opportunity. Um, No, 
certain people have access to the opportunity. So even that stuff is, is, is fake. So it's like, if we can't really take a look at all of that for ourselves, we won't be able to do anything because what'll happen is you'll wind up having a lot of tokenizing, right? So you'll be like the yoga studio owner be like, I'm not racist, but I want more black people here. So I'm going to do these scholarships. I'm going to do, um, I'm going to, you know, look for a few black teachers. I'm going to put up some black pictures, but then what happens is when, black people enter into the space, they're, they're not comfortable. So they're going to exit the space. So then the, you know, the white teacher studio owner can say, well, I try, I try to get black people and they just don't want to come. And it's because they didn't look close enough, uh, closer to home, which is starting with themselves. So I say the first thing that anyone should do is start with yourself, acknowledge, acknowledge that everyone has bias, that no one is perfect, that we all have work to do, and then start doing the work. You do the work by, you know, listening to podcasts like this, by following people on Instagram. This is the free stuff. Following people on Instagram who speak out on social justice, following black people on Instagram who even don't speak out on social justice, but so that you can, you know, just start to like, you know, get an idea of the differences in the cultures, um, uh, making, you know, going, making black friends, um, and, and not letting it just be like your work relationship, like actually like interacting with your black friends and seeing how it is to be in their world, um, by being in their world, not by, you know, asking them for coffee, which has happened to me and then asking them questions like, no, you should be so in my world that you just see it. Like just by, just by being around me, you see my experience. Um, so starting with those things and then goes to the paid things. Like you can read books, you could take classes um, and then whatever you take, you want to apply it and learn and start to unpack. And so this unpacking is going to be a constant thing that's happening. And then as you're doing that, you definitely can start doing things like scholarships and hiring um black teachers and bring in black people in to do workshops and be on your teacher trainings and all of that you could definitely do all of that stuff but all of that stuff without that work of looking on the inside um is 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 not going to be effective you know it's kind of like people who practice yoga and for them it's just like a gymnastics event Um, right. And they're not getting any of the other parts of yoga. A lot of times they become very ugly people because as they get more efficient in their gymnastics program that they call yoga, uh, their ego starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. So it becomes like that. So we're taking, if you're a a white person and you're just taking this outer trappings of what anti-racism looks like, but deep inside, you're not doing the work, then the ugliness is still growing in there and it's festering. And, you know, the black people who come in, they can still feel that ugliness, even though you have maybe a black person working your front desk. There's a difference between authenticity and performative, performative actions, which right. I know you spoke about in, in your last blog um, post that I was reading. Yeah. the And, and you know, I think, I think there's this, I, I just read White Fragility. I'm curious about your thoughts on the book. I, I don't, I, I'm sure you have not read it. I know, why would you? <laughs> but but um, I, there's been some criticism on that book. Do you have an opinion on the White Fragility? It, 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 I, I, the reason I appreciate it is it did draw attention to how damn defensive everybody gets so stuck in the good, bad binary 
that people get so defensive at the moment that we say, hey, let's look at this. Let's unpack this. Let's, how do I look within and find my own complicit, where I have been complicit or complacent? Folks throw up their hands, like, don't call me a racist. It get, people get so fragile and defensive. Um, uh, and as you said, if that's where we stop, then there is no room for growth. There is no room to move forward. Um, any thoughts on that, on the White Fragility book by D'Angelo? Do you have... Um, so I actually have read have. Um, White Fragility. You have. I'm sorry and to make that assumption. Yeah, no, no, no. And I uh, actually like the book and I enjoy it. And I know that a lot of people don't like it because they're, well, they're like, you know, she's a white woman and she shouldn't yeah. be profiting off of the Black yeah. experience and on all of that. I believe that we, certain people can hear certain people Whereas they can't hear others. That makes sense. No, they, they really can't. So it's like, you know, like you might have a family member and they yes. come ask you a question and you're like, you tell them what to do. And it's like, they're like, ah, I don't know about that. And then they go to a quote unquote specialist and the specialist yep. tells them the exact same thing you already <laughs> told them. Like, you're like, oh, you know, you should do Cobra. And they're like, eh. And then they go to the chiropractor and they come home and they're like, this happened with my husband, by the way. They come I, home I was going to say, this sounds like conversations with my husband. <laughs> uh-huh. They come home and they're like, look at this new exercise the chiropractor told me to do. And they get, get down on the floor and they do Cobra. You're like, are you, are you serious? I know like, how that goes, Shana. I know. You know yes. So like some people cannot hear it right. from you. They can't right. hear it. So they, so to me, Robin D'Angelo is a voice that some people can hear because she's a a white woman, because she's done this work and she has a way of putting it together that is very easy to understand. That's what I did like about White Fragility is that it was so easy. It was easy to read, not that it wasn't uncomfortable, but you know what I mean from like- I do, yeah. You know, it's just easy to read. It wasn't, yeah, it was quick. It wasn't very academic. Right. It was very- easy to read so for some people that book will open the door for them um the way that sitting down and having talk uh, talking to a black person won't or um you know going to somebody's diversity training may not work and maybe she just says it in a way that wakes people up so that's why I don't have a problem with her book and people are like well she shouldn't make money from it uh well I'm sorry but like we live in a society where you exchange money for things right and she wrote this book like so that took time I've tried to write books it is hard and I know people who are authors and wrote it took them years to write a book and the process is extremely difficult so she sat down she wrote this book she goes out she teaches she um you know does the work she does the programs why shouldn't she get paid right right why shouldn't she get paid for it um And because if she's not getting paid for it, she's not going to be able to do it. And if she's not doing it, there's people who will never, ever get this message because they can't hear it from a black person who's standing in front of them. They can't hear it, but they can hear it from her. 
And so she needs to, I think she needs to be compensated so that she can keep doing that work. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. I, I found it to be really helpful and eye-opening. And, and you know, I, I swear to God, I felt, I've spent most of my adult life and really even my childhood feeling like a compassionate, open, treating everyone the same, all of the above. And I really did feel like I was doing all that stuff and that no way could I be a racist person. And I, you know, I really did feel that way. And I can't can't really begin to comprehend how asleep we have all been. Um, and I, I don't know whatever it is about this particular timing, um, in life that has shifted. And I think a lot of people are finally waking up and, and, um, what are your thoughts on using social media to, uh, to kind of help spread this message and this word? Um, I, I, for example, I've, I've, as my eyes have been open, I'm, I'm feeling impassioned, right, to try to help um, educate other white allies or people who identify as white allies and share resources and not just use social media, right, do the work um, uh, supporting uh, uh, the community in different ways. But there's been there's some criticism sometimes of using social media to to share this uh, to share the support of this movement. What are your thoughts on that? Can you speak to that? We all come to things in, in different ways, especially the younger generation, yeah. especially the younger generation. They get a lot of their bad, good, bad, or indifferent. They get a lot of their news and they learn a lot about what's going on in the world through their social medias. Right. I mean, that that's where they're learning it. So to me, I see social media as a social justice tool. Um, tool. It it really is. And different people are going to do different things. Some people are going to write books. Some people are going to write newspaper articles. Some people are going to do protests. Some people are going to run for office. You know, some people are going to be on the phone calling the Senator all day. Like everybody's got, you know, some people are going to be on the streets, you know, making the packages for the protesters. Everybody has their thing that, they can do. And I think in order for us to continue to do our work, we have to do it in a way that lights us up. So if social media, like, you know, my daughter, social media is like second nature for her. Sure. I mean, it's like second nature. When she started her account, it blew up and it blew up fast because it's second nature to her how to speak to people, what type of pictures to take. Um, It was second nature for her. So for her, using social media as social justice is going to be the easiest thing for her and it's going to light her up. And so I think that we should embark on our social justice in a way that is going to light us up. And if that's Instagram for somebody, uh, that's Instagram. Right. 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 And, and what, what helps us get the message out and what helps, helps continue this movement. So it's not just a moment. So it has momentum, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How are you staying grounded through all of this, Shana? There's so much going on. These last few months have been have been just so much to go through for everybody. How are you staying grounded and centered and energized to keep moving forward through through this really incredible time? So a long time ago, probably probably in the middle of my whole yoga journey, I made the decision that I was going to be very be very picky about what I let into my my energy field and what I I let in 
to my space. So I have always surrounded or tried to uh, surround myself around people that are grounded. And so through having these extraordinarily grounded people around me, then I can stay grounded. And right now, you know, when COVID hit and, and, you know, all the stuff with George Floyd and all that, I already had a support system of people that helped ground me, like, you know, my family, my husband, my daughter, um, friends. Um, and also, even when it comes to my social media accounts, Facebooks, things like that, I do the same thing. I try to follow and have certain people coming up in my feed that I know are going to ground me, center me, give good information. And I just try to surround myself with this so that as I start going, you know, off the deep end, you know, which happens with everybody and has definitely happened to me over the last few months, I can like, like with my husband one day, I was like, yeah, I just need to talk about this, right. <laughs> you know, and he came over and we just talked about it. Like, I know that if I start going off the deep end, that I've got somewhere I can go somewhere I can talk to something that's going to ground me and center me. So that's what I do. And that's what I suggest to everyone. And it's not about like, it's not about the whole love and light and, and being blind either. That that doesn't mean that you surround yourself with just, yes, people who are going right. to say what you want to hear. Yeah. That is not the same as having grounded people around you. So that's there. That's, that's very important. I definitely have people are in my space who I don't agree with and who don't agree. Yeah. With me. Yeah. But, um, but, but who, who can give you that authentic feedback out, out of a lens of love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like building a safety net around yourself. I think I love that. I kind of yeah. love that. Um, and, and that you had that in place already. So we all need that. Tay, do you have any, um, I, and I've looked a little bit online. I know you do some online meditations, but I was just so most of our listeners, well, I don't want to make that assumption either, but a lot of my listeners might not be in North Carolina and have access um, to your teachings. What do you have classes, projects, workshops on the horizon where listeners can find you and access your classes? Oh, I have so much stuff. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Um, The uh, best way, two things, um, ashtangayogaproject.com. If you go to ashtangayogaproject.com, sign up for the newsletter there. That really is going to be one of the best ways for people to really see in real time what I'm doing. And then I think the second best way is my Instagram so the newsletter and my Instagram, not necessarily my website. I mean, okay. websites are like really hard to be updating every day. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Absolutely. things are changing quickly now in, right. in this landscape we're in. Whereas back in the day, it's like you might plan your whole teaching schedule out for a year and all the right. workshops you're going to do. You can't do that now. Now That's it's so like true. month by month. Yes. So for me, the best thing to do is go to Australia Yoga Project, get on my newsletter list or go to wellness underscore yogini, um, which is my Instagram handle. And I always post the new things that I'm doing and I'm up to there. So what I do now is I teach a lot of privates and you can book those with me. Um, For public, I do have a yoga philosophy uh, class that I teach every Wednesday, which is um, also... um, it's public, but it's on Zoom. Okay. So you can do that. Um, on, I teach Ashtanga on Fridays Sat- and Saturdays. I mean, I'm doing a lot. So if That's someone awesome. wants to study with me, 
those are the two best ways to figure it out. And um, I've got a lot of things that I do that are not here in Charlotte. So everyone can find a way to study with me if they like. You you teach at the Miami Life Center as well, correct? With, I do uh, teach at the Miami Life Center. You know, and Tim? Yeah, with Tim and Kino, which That's is interesting. Awesome. Yeah, because they're in Miami and I'm here in Charlotte. And, and, you know, they had this opportunity and they wanted to create, you know, to, to get me in there. So it was beautiful because honestly, um, and some people don't know this, and I like to point it out because people, you know, like to throw everybody into the performative uh, category. <laughs> but actually, I have been talking with Kino and Ohm Stars and Joseph and Miami Life Center probably for like a year and a half. Okay. Um, trying to figure out the logistics. I was actually supposed to go to Miami this summer anyway um, and do some work with Ohm Stars. So, like, we've been talking for a long time okay. about trying to make things happen. It wasn't that Kino and, and Tim suddenly and got on board. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay. It was none of that. It was like, we've been talking for a long time. That's and, really cool. Yeah. And this, you know, COVID time just made it, you know, cause everybody's in the house. So it makes it easier to chit chat. <laughs> exactly. It makes it easier to get a hold of people and to kind of schedule some of these things. I have to agree to that as well. As yeah. Well. Well, I'm excited to to study with you and to take some classes with you. Like I said, I I have I I've, there was a good year or two that I really got into Ashtanga, but there was there were some things that just didn't resonate with me, and so I kind of moved away from it. So I'm excited to to get to study with someone um, that's not necessarily you know right here to kind of expand my horizons. Um, and one thing I do want to point out before I let you go is is also um, I will post all of the links on our show notes so folks can easily just click and link and find you. And you always have great little tips. On on your Instagram page. There's always some, some neat little, um, tip advice, uh, whether it's a sequence or, um, uh, a, a tool to use or whatever it might be. So there's lots of great kind of daily advice that you're putting out there as well. Yes. Awesome. Well, Shana, thank you so, so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure to get to know more about you. I look forward to continuing following your journey. And, uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll be glad to link everything so our listeners can learn more about you and continue to follow your journey. Thank you. Awesome. Have a great day. And to my listeners at home, stay tuned. Once again, Shana Small, such a pleasure to get to know her. And as always, I'm going to link every way you can possibly follow her, all of her pages, her uh, Instagram, her website, all of the above. I will link on our show notes and encourage all of you to find her, like her pages, subscribe to her stuff, and check out more about Shana and the Ashtanga Yoga Project. I want to give a special shout out as I close the show today to a a growing group of listeners in Dublin, Ireland. I'm not sure how you discovered the show, but there is a consistent group of about 86 of you who listen to almost every episode that I produce. And I just want to say thanks. It's really cool. You know, there are listeners all over the world, um, but to have that high of a concentration in any place other than kind of locally here has been fun to watch. So, you know, uh, again, not sure where you found me, but thanks to you and thanks to all of our listeners. I want to thank Indigo Wellness Studios for their continued support of the show. 
A special shout out to Orion Moran, our sound engineer and the creator, writer, and uh, producer of the intro music. And actually, I use the intro music today throughout the entire show. So thanks to him. Thanks to you for listening. And I, as always, encourage you to take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. <laughs>